Welcome, my name's Emma Ward and I'm a member of the wonderful Epi family. Our title for today is Faith as Generosity. Ebby's current faith series is based predominantly on Hebrews 11 and 12, but I wanted to begin today by going back to Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The word of God is alive and it's an action. It is for the living. The word of God defines even joints from marrow, however similar they seem at times. And I think that this is crucial. A sword has a blade and it has a handle. It is to be used. It's not a decorative piece like a scimitar or a samurai adorning the walls of our homes. It's not a sword to be kept pristine and polished. I believe that God's living word, our sword, should have dents and scratches all up it, marking the battles that it's been used in. I want to refer in my introduction to a verse that Esther shared in the opening talk to Ebby's Faith series, which was Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I think that faith has a lot of hope in it. A faith that is truly certain of what we do not see means to me that we haven't got it in our hands yet. Verse 6 reads, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. For me, God rewards those who look carefully to see his fingerprints on our beautiful world, on our personal situations, on the things that matter to us. This verse speaks to me of us not having all the answers, but we're still prepared to continue searching for the answers to our many questions. We're still pressing on in there. We are still grappling with the things of God. Like Jacob, we are still wrestling with angels. Last week, Esther took us into creation in Genesis, where we find in verse 4 that God separated the light from the darkness. Without darkness, there is no such thing as light. Without light, there is no such thing as darkness. Something that I think is so important to remember is that light can shine into darkness, but darkness can never shine into light. Never. And what came to mind was a verse for someone at Ebby or for someone listening in today, which is Isaiah 42, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. You may feel that you're guttering and dimming in these strange times. You may have come very low, very overwhelmed during lockdown. But I say confidently to you, certain of what I do not see, that our awesome creator God will not let your guttering light go out. Light always, always without fail, makes a difference to dark times. Our generous faith always shines, glows, blazes and even glimmers in the darkness experienced by our family, friends, colleagues and neighbours. It does make a difference. Light always will. 
For the main part of my talk, we go forwards from Genesis 1 to Genesis 4, verses 2 to 10. Here we read about the sons born to Adam and Eve, called Cain and Abel. It says in verse 3 and 4 that in the course of time, Cain bought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel bought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering. As I see it, the difference between what Abel bought to God and his brother's offering is that Cain bought what I imagine were bits and pieces from his crops, whereas Abel bought fat portions, the best parts, of the firstborn of his flock. And I pose the question to you today, what does it actually mean to bring God our best, our fat portions, the firstborn of our flock, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice? The best way that I can answer those particular questions is by sharing a personal story with you. Many of you will know some of my dad's story. Several of you won't. My dad in his early 20s had, as he does now, a brilliant mind. A young man, an engineer, involved in new developments with ICI and sponsored by them to do a postgraduate MSc master's degree through which he won a special scholarship to go to Israel for three months. He was being groomed for a very prestigious, highly paid role in ICI. The first year of my life was spent in a large, impressive house in Harpingdon. It was on a visit back to my beloved maternal nan in Hembury, sat in Gunn's Field, overlooking the red-roofed tiles of the local estate, full of so many people in need of the gospel. But my dad heard God say to him, Whom will I send? Who will go for me? And in the middle of his fast-track career development programme with ICI, earning a significant salary, Dad said to God that he would come up with an option where he could retire early and come back to Bristol to serve him. But he felt God say, No, I want the best of your life, the cream of your life not what is just left over. So my dad gave up his promising career and all of the security that it offered for his father God, who had called him. Imagine the cost that it must have taken to give his fat portion as he did. I still have the Evening Post article in my childhood album, which reads, Bristol University graduate Rob Scott Cook, who also did a postgraduate course at business school, has given up a promising career with ICI to live by faith. With his wife Pamela, who was raised in Hembury, he is to do church work at Hembury. Mr and Mrs Scott Cook are seen in our picture with their daughter Emma. I was a toddler in arms and my brother was on the way in that photo. It could so easily have backfired for my dad. We lived on the breadline for all of my childhood. You need to have lived there too to know what I'm talking about. Was it really worth it for my dad and his young family to make that kind of sacrifice? You may well ask. But you see, there's another part to the story that I want to tell you about. One of the things that my dad did was to help to lead the small youth group at Emmanuel Chapel, which God graciously caused 
to grow over the coming years. And my dad and others from the youth group and church started to go knocking on those red-roofed homes that he'd seen from Gunsfield. And in one of them lived a ten-year-old boy from an unchurched single-parent family who didn't know either his dad or that his mum would die of cancer 18 months later. A boy who went up to that church for the first time and met people there who changed his life. People whose God he chose as the foundation for his future. How do any of us know about this boy who became an amazing man because of what my dad helped to grow, because of the sacrifices that he made? We know because that boy was Johnny Wall. My Johnny Wall. The most wonderful husband, rock, supporter that I or my parents could ever have dreamed of. And my dad is the dad to Johnny that he never had. And he's an incredible one at that. You see, my dad had entrusted into the hands of his father God his fat portions his firstborn, the cream of his brilliant mind, his best. And that is what God miraculously did with them. That is what God does with our best. And I can't think of a better illustration of my point than that. The next verse that I've been asked to share some thoughts on comes from the New Testament and is one that I've loved for many months now. Hebrews 11 verse 4 reads... By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. I want to start this section by mentioning what Dr Edmund Lockhart, a pioneer of forensic science, formulated as the basic principle of forensic science, that every contact leaves a trace. All of us leave our fingerprints on this world, each of our lives leaves a trace. This verse in Hebrews tells me that Abel's certainly did. I hope that you, like me, have got incredible people no longer alive who have left such a rich, enhancing, unforgettable trace, such a lasting, uplifting legacy in your life. My maternal nan was one of those people. She was such an understated person. She never passed an exam. She never even finished school. She never learned to drive. Her world was very small, but you see... Her belief in me, her insurmountable love, how she made me feel, made my world huge. The generosity of her love, words cannot adequately express. My nan's fingerprints are all over my life, an unmistakable trace. Nothing will erase them, they will always be there. And sometimes when I close my eyes... I can still hear my nan's voice above all the other shouts cheering me on. Like Abel in this Hebrews verse, 
our dead can still speak. Their life-changing presence in our past truly does leave an indelible trace. The question I pose to each of us today is what indelible trace does our generous faith leave behind in the lives of our family, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours? I also want to say something about the other side of the coin, so to speak. In my original passage back in Genesis 4, it reads, Sin is crouching at your door, it desires to have you, but you must master it. That reference to doorways and our coming and going immediately made me think of Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 9, which read, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. I lead Bethmore women's Bible study groups in my home and I always start each week with an introduction and an around the circle activity. It was the second week of Entrusted where we were studying to Timothy. I read those verses in Deuteronomy and I said this. Parents, what do your children see written across your door frames as they go out with you to toddler group when they come home from school? What do they read written when you, as a family, receive bad news or when you celebrate together? When they break up with their girlfriends or boyfriends, when they fail their exams? What do they read on your door frames? when they come back from university, pop in on their way home from work or after a visit to the unemployment office? What do they read when they finally leave home for good? Be so intentional, be so wise. Your children may well walk away from those door frames and go out of your gates, but believe you me, your children will never forget what you wrote on them. I asked if we could go around the circle and if people would be prepared to share some of the messages that they remembered from their childhood door frames. And so I started around the circle of women who ranged in age from late 50s to mid 80s. Woman after woman broke down in tears as unhelpful words were remembered written across the door frames of their homes, across their family gates. 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. 80 years ago. Not only had they never forgotten what those words said, they are words that still have the power to unexpectedly make them cry decades later. We need to be so careful about the messages that we often unknowingly and unintentionally write across our door frames and our gates. But I want to say this to you today. You are no longer a child living under other people's labels and statements. You live in your own homes now. You choose what today's messages read for you and your family. And there was a wonderful moment in the circle of women when one said that the unkind messages that her dad had written 
had been completely obliterated and painted over because it was the messages that her mum wrote that were the ones that stood out, the messages that she remembered and is uplifted by to this day. You have got the chance to write your own messages and also to maybe alter the ones already inadvertently written by you. And so I come to the final two verses that I've been given to share some thoughts on around the subject of a generous faith. Matthew 10 verses 7 to 8 read, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. What struck me forcibly was how these verses start. They start with, as you go. We are not to be sedentary, safe in our ivory towers, comfortable in our familiar comfort zones. We are to be out and about. Moving from person to person, from group to group is a given. It is non-negotiable. As lockdown is eased and continues to ease, it's time for us to come out of this enforced period of hibernation. It is for us to continually direct people towards Jesus, the great healer. We know from the story in Mark 5 that the woman who had bled for 12 years only needed to touch the hem of Jesus' garment to be healed. Which people do we need to point in the right direction to just reach out their hand and touch the hem of Christ's cloak for their healing. About two years ago, Johnny and I went to a hotel in Windsor for a weekend of celebrations to mark 40 years of the fantastic work of the charity Care for the Family, which we support. On the Saturday afternoon, I went to a woman's seminar by a speaker called Cathy Madivan. She said something that really impacted me. She said, women, in life, you can be a thermometer, someone who walks into a room, an organisation, a church, a family, and can tell the atmosphere straight away. But telling the temperature doesn't do anything about it. It doesn't change it. Or you can be a thermostat. You can be the one that brings the change. You can make the difference. Knowing that things need to alter is very different from actually altering them. How true is that? In his fantastic book, The Wisdom House, Rob Parsons has a chapter entitled, Be the Change. In it, he says, don't sit about complaining about all the things that are wrong in the environments and situations that you find yourselves and others in. No, you be the change. Thermostat behaviour, not that of a thermometer. A story which I think sums this up so aptly and which ties in with the verse in Matthew about healing the sick is the story of the paralysed man, which I think shows some of the greatest thermostat behaviour in the whole of the Bible. A group of friends who didn't want things to stay the same for their much-loved friend. Friends who didn't look around and wonder what everyone else should be doing about the situation. 
the friends of the paralysed man decided that they were going to be the change. And the key for me is this. They didn't just talk about it. They did it. Friends who didn't just talk the talk, but who walked the walk. Be a friend like that. Where would the paralysed man have been if his friends hadn't taken him to the house where Jesus was preaching to the crowds inside? What effort and determination did those friends show to get a dead weight up onto the roof so that they could lower him down and he could have his healing? Be that kind of friend. At the end of these strange times that we've experienced in 2020, who do you need to carry to the feet of Jesus? Because they aren't going to get there any other way. They just can't do it by themselves. And in closing, I refer to the story in John 11, where we find Jesus stood outside the tomb in Bethany, where his, dead, where his dear friend Lazarus had been dead for four days. A story which gives us, us the shortest verse in the Bible of Jesus wept. This is another story that speaks to me of the power of friends. As Jesus stands outside that tomb, about to bring Lazarus back to life, could Jesus have rolled the stone away in an instant? Yes, of course he could have. Instead, he says to Lazarus, his friends and family, take away the stone. He chooses to make them part of his miracle. Could Jesus have said to the grave clothes, unwind yourselves? Of course he could have. Instead, Jesus chooses to call to the people who love Lazarus. The people who Lazarus means something to. And says, take off the grave clothes. Set him free. Again, he chooses for them to play a part in his miracle. And so... Jesus does the same with us. I finish by asking you, whose miracle does Jesus want you to be part of? Who is Jesus calling you to be a generous kind of friend to as lockdown lifts? Who do you love with a thermostat kind of love, with a generous love, with an indelible love that leaves its own unmistakable trace? who Jesus calls to you about today and says, roll their stone away, unwrap their grave clothes, set them free. <laughs>